You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 91, featuring special guest Kaylin Fu, most recently in the Broadway company of Mean Girls. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? This is Maggie Barra, and welcome to another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, the newly named Actor Aesthetic Alliance. All links are in the show notes. Let's get on to the show. Did you know that Actor Aesthetic has an online store? You can now search through the Actor Aesthetic shop to find downloadable cover letter samples, resume templates, audition journal spreadsheets, and hundreds of audition song suggestions categorized by voice type and genre. Level up your audition game and go to actoraesthetic.com slash shop. Hey friends, it's Maggie. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. Today we are featuring the story of another lovely guest by the name of Kaylin Fu. Kaylin and I actually have a ton of mutual friends, so I'm really excited to get to chat with her today. Kaylin is an actor, singer, and voiceover artist based in New York City. She made her Broadway debut in Mean Girls and is the current standby for Regina George and Gretchen Wieners. She trained classically at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and in London with the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and Shakespeare's Globe. She then graduated with her BFA in musical theater and honors in acting from the University of California, Irvine. Postgrad, she signed across the board with A3 Artists Agency, and she's also appeared off-Broadway in Nickel Mines. Her regional credits include Utah Shakespeare Festival, The Lyric Company, and the Nashville Repertory Theater. In this episode, I chat with Kaylin about her training, her audition process for Mean Girls leading up to her Broadway debut, the difference between Broadway standbys and understudies, survival jobs, how she's coping during quarantine, and so much more. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Kaylin, I'm so happy that you joined us today on the podcast. Yeah, of course. You grew up in California, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you initially get involved in theater? Well, I honestly didn't really have a choice. My parents <laughs> forced me into the theater when I was wow. four, so I blame <laughs> them. Um, so I went, they, in our neighborhood, there was a really good, like, this is totally by, like, just random. My mom was like, that's, like, the best school for our four-year-old, and it was a K through art, K through eight arts program school so it was I grew up with the same like my friend group I made when I was like I guess by the time I could really choose who I liked maybe or had opinions I grew up with like the same 13 people from like kindergarten to eighth grade a lot of us went on to the same high school so they tossed me into this uh performing arts school didn't even really uh, think anything of it they were just like this ha- like they really loved the fact that you could do sports if you wanted to like there were sports teams and there mm-hmm. were like things you could do but a lot of the other the other side of it was we, there was choir like I think I did my first choir audition when I was in third grade I kind of got started there and so I like my first line I ever had was like here in Fresno it's hot 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 and I was part of the sun so I had a bright yellow t-shirt. We were doing a play about the weather. Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And I, I think I had a lot of fun with it. It was something yeah. that I, I guess, grew up doing. So I didn't really know what life was without it. Were your parents performers or were they in the theater industry at all? No, they weren't. They're both therapists. So maybe that has to do with it. They're <laughs> creative outlets. So our kid doesn't like do random stuff. I don't know. Uh-huh. My mom taught me how to play the piano and sang a lot in the house. Like she was never trained at all, but she like learned the piano when she was really young. So I grew up hearing her sing all the time. And my dad was definitely out of like his siblings. He was way more 
active in like his community and super um, enthusiastic. And so I'm pretty sure at one point, because he he grew up in China and Taiwan, but at one point he played Romeo, and I don't know when he did, but that's like a random thing. So he would like <laughs> at one point was Romeo in Romeo and Juliet. Um, his claim to fame. Yeah, truly. But uh, yeah, so they they weren't directly involved in it, but um, apparently they were like, this is a good thing. So huh. that's yeah, cool. you went to UC Irvine for musical mm-hmm. theater. Yes. Did you always know that you wanted to go to school for musical theater? I decided to become an actor when I was in eighth grade because it was kind of a weird thing because all of the high schools in my hometown, I think it was my eighth grade year, they all decided to almost like declare majors. So like certain high schools were very like, if you want to become a scientist, go to like this school because they have, they're going to connect you to really great like um, science programs for college and like they're going to have connections to like our state university and like you're going to do like your high school years will include doing like field trips to like some random mm. science fair or like there was a, like one school that li- I lived near was super focused on law and so they would have like fake court law things happening that you could go do as like a junior in high school wow. um, and so then there was a school, Roosevelt School of the Arts. I guess it was more so the hometown OG arts school. There was another school that was really based on the arts called University High that was connected to our state university. And they were like, I think back at it, I'm like, I couldn't do that because they like, their requirements were as difficult as getting into a college. You had to already play an instrument. You had to write like four essays to get in. It was a lottery if you got accepted based on your like skill set already and your and your essays like wow. it was a lot it was so crazy so <laughs> i think my parents were so disappointed when i like didn't get in and I was like, <laughs> you guys know i was like i already passed the part with my skill set and my essays i just happened to not get chosen like you were just unlucky <laughs> didn't happen but then i was like so then i end up going to school roosevelt school of the arts and i was like wait a second i wasn't unlucky freaking Audra McDonald went there. So I was like, it's fine. Um, So I was like, I think I got, uh, I got the better, better uh, end of the stick. So I actually decided to major, I guess, I don't think I even knew what majoring was, but um, I decided to become an actor or do something in the arts when I was in eighth grade. So I think throughout my high school years, I really focused on like, okay, well, this I'm going to do with my life. And I want to focus on these these things so what was your college audition process like I auditioned for I think I I think I applied to 10 schools I auditioned for five private schools um so I did like Carnegie Mellon NYU Ithaca Mm -hmm. Syracuse there's always one more and I never remember what it is but it's always the case apparently I didn't love it because if I can't remember (laughs) it um I auditioned for all of those I got waitlisted for two of them. And mm. I remember being like so devastated because I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And I had also applied to, because I lived in California, applied to a bunch of UCs and I loved UC Irvine the most. I was like, okay, if I'm going to go to a California school, uh, I'm going to go to Irvine. Mm-hmm. And once I got over being devastated that I wasn't going to like one of the top mm-hmm. quote unquote, like Ivy League and musical theater land. <laughs> schools I was like okay I'm gonna like make the most of this and my mm-hmm. mentor at the time John Tufts he went to CMU and I remember telling him when I didn't get in I was like I didn't get it and like I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a very like like the I, end all be all <laughs> yeah it was a very honestly and like this makes sense with the times yeah um, I don't want to necessarily compare myself to it because I don't think I'm her but like it was a very Rachel Berry moment of being like what <laughs> am I going to do like, I'm not her, but, like, in that moment, I remember being really devastated and, yeah. like, world torn apart. And I remember him telling me that it didn't matter where you went. It just mattered. Whatever you put into it, you will get out of it. And kind of that, kind of, like, starting that mentality of, like, you can't expect really amazing things to be handed to you if you didn't do anything. So I kind of let that lead me through college. And I'm really glad I went to Irvine. I know you also studied in London as well <laughs> at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. So what was the, how did your training differ across the pond? 
Yeah. Uh, so I actually did this program through Irvine, um, oh. Cade, and it was like the second year they had developed it. So Irvine, basically one of our professors, he had worked across the pond and <laughs> set up all of these different classes and workshops during the summer because a lot of the drama students and how the uh, Irvine musical theater program, the BA in drama program works, you really can't, like it's really hard to study abroad during the year. It's hard to like stay on track to make sure you actually graduate with your year. Um, and so he wanted to develop this program. So during the summer, if you weren't doing a summer contract, like you could go continue studying in a different place and not um, lose out on possibly like getting behind your timeline. So, so it was like, it was really cool. And it was honestly, I went, I think it was my junior year, junior going into senior year. And it was honestly such a wonderful experience because they, I think at that point I realized, okay, I'm going to be a senior. Things are going to get really serious. Our BFA program gets really intense our senior year as do most, like you're yeah. prepping for showcase, you're prepping to leave, like leave the nest. And so I think I was already in that mindset and in London, they just take things so seriously that it's like here, I mean, we, we talk about non-essential and essential jobs in London they're like okay well if you're an actor like that's what you're doing this is serious we're not here as like a hobby like this isn't a hobby this is what we do and um they train like that they train in a very serious way and so I think it kind of instilled in me to like really take myself serious and know and it's kind of like the idea like they always said what's your plan b or what are you going to do when this doesn't work out and in some ways you kind of I think it is smart to have those ideas, but I think going to London, it kind of made me go in a selfish way of being like, no, I don't have, I don't have a plan B. Like this is yeah. my only plan. And I think yeah. in some ways it kind of can drill this like determination in you that I really, I really appreciate that I got that experience. Switching gears. Yeah. So you made, I can't wait to talk about this. So you made your <laughs> Broadway debut in Mean Girls, yeah. which I think I've seen now like four or five times in person. <laughs> I'm so obsessed. Um, so please tell me, what was your audition process like for that show? Um, it, this has kind of been the show that it's very typical. Like you, it, you keep having this like cat and mouse chase with. Um, I, so kind of a background story. I, Irvine has this New York program that you go to New York for a month and train there. You meet these casting directors and stuff. And so my sophomore year, I got an audition for Jasmine in Aladdin on Broadway mm -hmm. and so that was kind of like my first interaction not really it was like kind of misconnections but kind of my first interaction with Casey Nicola mm -hmm. and so I knew I was on like Telsey's radar since like when I was in college mm -hmm. but nothing ever came of it like I sent tapes and I never heard back and I was like okay like I'm literally 19 and I know <laughs> I, I like in the moment I knew I did not have the vocal chops or the like endurance to be able to do that eight times a week. So I was like, this is whatever. <laughs> um, but Mean Girls was one of the first um, big auditions I had when I moved to the city. So my agency really like threw me against the wall with auditions and just like, we're like, we're gonna see like what you like can do and yeah. casting offices really like you. And so Mean Girls was one of the um, bigger Broadway shows I went in for right away. And it was really insane. So I auditioned for them December of 2018. Mm -hmm. And it was one, I think I had already been in callbacks for Hamilton. So uh -huh. I, and Bethany Knox cast both Hamilton mm -hmm. and Mean Girls. So I remember we had had a really, not awkward uh, moment, but just kind of like, I remember feeling so like destroyed after it. Cause I went in for Eliza and I was singing, and I was singing all of her music. And I remember she had me sing like Skylar Sisters like four million times. And I was just, I just like, came to straight tone that last note. And I remember thinking to myself, no, <laughs> I really can't. But I was like, yeah, sure. And <laughs> so then I do it and I totally like crack and it was horrible. <laughs> but um, I like, she, I remember her being like, she's like, she's like yeah, she's like, keep working on that you're great. And then like, I did not continue callbacks. <laughs> I was like, 
great. But then she called me in for Mean Girls the next yeah. week. So I was like, okay, like, hi, Bethany. And was this for, was at this point for Mean Girls, was it a specific character yet or was yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, it was. So she basically had me, I think in the middle of the Hamilton callbacks, yeah. she had me come in to do like, she had to like, it's like checking off, hey, you need, I need to know that you sang a song for Mean Girls before I can just call you in for a character. Mm-hmm. So she called me in, she, I did that. We call, She called me in for Gretchen. This was okay. still in December. Um, and then I did another callback for, I did like my first callback with Mary Mitchell and her. That was the audition I actually sang the most and read the most was with her and Mary Mitchell. Mm-hmm. So I was always pinned for Gretchen, did that. And then I actually left town for the holidays got a call from my agents and said, hey, we know you're not supposed to come back until like end of January. Can you come back January 13th? Because Casey Nicola wants to meet you. And that's the only day they're doing it. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so I changed my flight, came in and I didn't really, like no one told me this at all. Like I was not aware of actually how close things were because wow. I had done this. I had done only two callbacks yeah back in December and I was like I had gotten callbacks for some things but I was like very much like I'm gonna be in probably Hamilton or something yeah and um so then I get there and all of a sudden I realize it's exactly like Jason Robert Brown says in climbing uphill like sitting in a room full of girls look exactly like you and we're in one of the Pearl studio rooms one of the bigger ones you know that they usually do like the dance calls but we're all just yeah yeah, yeah. and um so strange yeah. And so I was, I was sitting there and everyone just like, we're all in like blue or yellow or pink, curly hair. And you're just like, and it, there's a weird moment now that I think we all just understand where you look and you're like, you could get it. You could get it. Yeah. Get it. And, and because I didn't, I honestly think this was like an ignorance is bliss thing yeah. because I didn't know how close it was. I wasn't as nervous. Cause I was like, I have like 10 more auditions to go to before I yeah. get to finals or whatever. So then I go in and I sing what's wrong with me. I think it was literally a 32 bar cut of it. And Casey goes, he's like, great. Like, so nice to meet you. He's like, you're going to come back tomorrow to sing that for the team. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I walk out and I text my agents and I'm like, Hey, he said I'm supposed to come back tomorrow, but like, let me know when you get the info. And they were like, that's great. And I was like, thumbs up. Great. And then I, I'm shopping in h H&M. and I remember this so vividly. I was looking for pants. Funny enough, I think I was looking for pants for a um, temp gig, which we can talk about later about like the whole, yeah, like survival job stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was looking for pants for a temp gig. And my agents called me and they're like, hey, so you're going to go in tomorrow. I think there might be a dance call. So like bring your, bring some like dance clothes. But yeah, you're going to meet the team and stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. And I read the email. And he's like, I put all the stuff in there. And I all of a sudden read the email. And it just says, like, final callback. And it has, like, Casey Nicola, Mary Mitchell, Bethany, casting assistant, who I unfortunately don't remember, uh, Tina Fey, Jeff Richman, Nell, uh, like, Lauren Michaels. Like, all, and all of a sudden I realized, I was like, it's everyone. And I was like, oh, oh. And then I was like, okay, well, then I need to find a new top or something. <laughs> so I stand in the pants and I'm looking for something that just screams at me that it's Gretchen. Yeah. And, but it was that, I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to sing and do this material in front of the people who wrote it tomorrow. So yeah, and I, I realized I got there and it was just me. It was Megan Masako, it was Christina, and it was one other girl, Ellie. And I was like, oh, I'm close. Like, it could be me. And this was for the replacement of Ashley Park. So this was, like, the okay. first replacement. Okay. Um, and she was, like, one of, one or two, like, one of the first, like, OBCs to leave. So I was, like, oh, this is a big deal. And I was, like, hmm. Okay. And at this time, I was non-union. Mm-hmm. And um, I had never, like, I really didn't have any credits to my name. Like, I had, like, a regional gig. Mm-hmm. And I just graduated. So it was just like kind of crazy. So I, but it was funny because I remember the whole, like it was the four of us and there were three girls there for Regina. And I remember they had re- the Regina's dance with us. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, that's so weird. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she doesn't dance in the show at all, like ever. <laughs> so I was like, okay. But um, yeah, so I remember thinking everyone in the room, I made this was another ignorance is bliss moment. 
didn't know who any of these people were. I literally was like, I don't know who Christine is. I don't know who this Megan person is. Like, meanwhile, I would have been freaking out. <laughs> I had no idea who these people were. And so I yeah. was so like, like the most like blind, normal yeah. person ever. And I remember like all of us just like chatting along and just like having a good time. And I think because I didn't know, like I look back at it now and I was like, and I, and I, remember when I didn't get it I was like well duh like because I after I left I looked up everyone I like tried to memorize yeah. their names like who are who are they and I looked them up and I was like I'm the only person under 25 non-union do not have a broader credit to my name or national tour I'm like the newest of new and so I was like mm-hmm. well in a marketing world like Gretchen is the person you can market like no matter what but she is not the same as like a brand new face coming in for Regina, like Renee did. Like it's a different like marketing strategy because Gretchen is not one of the main, main, main characters. She's a super important supporting character, but she's not Regina or Katie or Jan. Right. And so I was like, oh, well, of course I'm not going to get it. Like, and also now, now knowing and seeing everyone's different versions of Gretchen, we're so different. We approach it in a completely different way. So it's, that's another thing that was really reassuring. I was like, oh, well, like, we are all different versions. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically that was like my original audition for them. Okay. Um, and this was back in, now this is like what, January, February of 2019? Like yeah. Okay. 2019. So those, that lasted from, yeah, basically uh, beginning of December through mid-January. And then two months later, I went in, I was actually on contract in Nashville and they called me in for Gretchen for the tour. Uh-huh. And at that point, because I kind, I kind of understood a little bit more, I realized it was between just like Megan and I. And so I knew it was between, between the two of us. Um, and Megan and Mariah were sitting across from each other. I was sitting like two seats down from them. We all watched Renee walk out of the audition and we all chatted. Like I remember Renee and I took the elevator downstairs together and it was so funny. Like we just like how you just like cross and meet these people and Mm-hmm. You eat like before they get the call and it's so crazy but I remember Megan went in and she I, and then I went in right after her and I walked in and I was like oh I was like she got it like I could feel it in the room really? that she was like what they were looking for for the tour and I think because I could feel that because it was just how Casey like said hello and how Tina like I remember watching and peeking how Tina was watching me and it was just that feeling of like we really love you, but like, you're, this isn't it. Sometimes you just know. You just know. You, just you, know. Like, you walk in and you know. And I think yeah. because of that, it made me relax even more because then I was like, yeah. well, there's not even an opening. So I'm just going to like do what I love and then go do my next thing in the day. So it kind mm-hmm. of like took some pressure off. But yeah, so I left. And then I remember being kind of disappointed when I got that call because I knew I was, I knew I was really close again. I don't think I came back to New York because I had another contract in Utah. Mm-hmm. But mid Utah, they Ashley De La Rosa was announced that she was leaving, and they emailed my agents and basically were like, "Hey, can would she be willing to do a standby position?" <laughs> they have never seen me read Regina. They never, I never sang wow. it for them. Uh, like all, I was always co- going in for Gretchen. So uh, my agent was like, "Hey, like they want to see you for this. Like, how do you feel about it?" And I was like, sure. And like, I had only ever sung Regina as a joke because I wanted to see if I could hit the notes. I really, it really was like a thing where I was like, can I even like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, And because I remember listening to it and thinking like, Taylor, like, oh my gosh, like, you have to do that every day. Whoa. (laughs) And so then I got the email for the audition. I think it was like July 16th put the, all of the material on tape that day. My friend who I was on a contract with happened to be a like phenomenal pianist. And like, he was my reader. And so we just like literally did like a couple of takes of the songs and the like four scenes. I sent it off. And then two days later, they called me and said, you're going to Broadway. And wow. So it was like really fast and it was really crazy. Um, And so then I had to call the artistic director and say, I booked Broadway. I have to leave next Tuesday to start. So did you have to get out of that contract? Uh-huh. Yeah. And luckily I had an understudy. We we're doing Mamma Mia and like I was <laughs> understanding another in another show, but mm-hmm. my understudy was ready to go on. And they're like, yeah, like as long as you can do the Saturday show, like 
you're free to go. Wow. Um, which is so nice. And they really could have been like, no, you have to finish out the season. But Mean Girls really wanted me to be there as soon as possible because Christina was going on vacation mm. in three weeks. So they were like, we need you to be able to do it. In three so you weeks. were guaranteed to pretty much go on at that yeah. point. Wow. Yeah. So it was like kind of a crazy, like, hey, you, um, you got it and you need to be able to perform on Broadway in three weeks. So this is like a boot camp. And in a lot of ways, I'm so grateful that it was for Gretchen and not Regina, because <laughs> if you think about it, I had been with the material since the past, like, December. So it's like, I had known the material, like, I had what's wrong with it memorized, and now I just had to basically have someone come in and direct me and tell mm-hmm. me, and it was crazy. It was, wow. but it's definitely that show that kind of, we kept trying to, like, find a, find a time, which is, I think really cool. It's like if the team knows that you fit in the show, like they will eventually find a spot for you. That seems to happen a lot um, Mm -hmm. with shows like that, shows that have a lot of different productions. You know, with Mean Girls, they had the tour and Broadway, especially for Hamilton. That seems to happen Mm -hmm. a lot with the different companies. That's so awesome. So you were a standby. So can you explain to someone who doesn't know the difference between a standby and an understudy? Yeah. So specifically in Mean Girls, a standby is someone who's off stage and only goes on for emergencies, sick days, um, like, I guess, planned vacations or any just like random time. Like if there's a press event, um, sometimes they'll pull the principal out and they'll put the standby on. An understudy in our show is someone who's in the ensemble and also covers a principal. So when they go on, we also have to put a swing on. So it's like, it kind of depends um, what the situation is in the building. If people are sick, sometimes it's easier to just put the stand- standby on. For Mean Girls, does that seem like tend to happen a lot to just put the standby in as opposed to doing an understudy uh, and a swing? It kind of depends. I think our show specifically does a little bit of a rotation situation. So it's like yeah, people who are in the ensemble and our standbys and we will kind of like switch off. Sometimes if it's like an emergency like they'll always just put the standby on because it's like we can't pull someone yeah. to the show necessarily. Um, but it's funny enough, the only time that Renee called out because she was really sick, I had called out because I had food poisoning. Oh my before. God. It was the li- I've only ever called out once and that was that night. And so then <laughs> Becca Peterson, who is in the ensemble, she had to get pulled up mid-show before someone gets hurt and go on because I literally wasn't there because we were both sick. And so um, it's funny because, and it's Becca and I've talked about because she's like, I've never, I never thought I'd be able to do a mid-show swing on because I'm in the show. Like if there's yeah. like, that's why you're there. So she was like, in a lot of ways, she's like, I'm really sorry you're sick, but like, thanks for like giving me like this. Like, yeah, dude. Like, I guess you just never think about having to do that. You're right. Because yeah. she's just totally in the zone for her track. And then, you know, God forbid something happens, you're there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, everything, every show is a little different. I know Wicked has a very like structured system, I think, with their standbys and understudies. Um, But ours is really like, it does rotate. And I think the benefit of it is the fact that the the more people go on, like both standby and understudy, the stronger the show is because the Mm -hmm. more familiar everyone is with it. So it's like, if you don't go on for six or seven months, like you will probably like miss a few steps. And so, um, so I think it, it is a, sometimes a really strong choice to like just rotate it. As a standby, how did you keep fresh with the material? Um, for, well, when I first joined, I sang Regina's music every single day, one, like just once through as if I was doing the show. Mm-hmm. I think I did that for like did you just do that, like, in your apartment? I did my apartment, yeah, in my apartment, yeah. um, or, like, in, like, voice lessons or something like that, just because it was a completely different yeah. part of my voice that I really didn't know I had. Like, I, I've always been, like, a mixer and a belter, but um, I had never, like, pop belted like that ever in college, and even my professors came, and they're like, we didn't know you could sing like that, and I was like, I didn't either, but here we are doing our best. (laughs) Um, But I sang it mostly because I wanted to be able to feel confident that if I did get thrown on, that I I had the muscle memory and I had the vocal endurance to actually do it. What was the most rewarding part of your job, would you say? 
part of it's the community. I think knowing that you have a family that you get to see basically every day and have, you have a support system, um, kind of immediately. Some, there are people you see every single day who, for the most part, especially like swings and standbys, if you're in the same room or somewhere near you, like in the same area, you know, everything that's happening in everyone's life. And so it's like, you kind of have this really amazing support system that you can go to for really anything. And on top of that, it's like being really like recently out of school. Like I luckily have like found a lot of people and I have like a bit of like doors have been opened of like, Hey, like come over here. Like we will let you know what these things mean. Like when, like when the show closed or like, I guess suspended, we had had people in the show who had gone on unemployment before in between gigs. And so I could immediately go to these people and say, these are my questions. How do I do this? And so that was really rewarding. Um, I think also just like getting some, like one of my favorite feelings I'll like never, it never, it never uh, goes away. It's always something that I think is there when I go on because I don't go on every single night. But like getting to like roll out on the table in either of the roles and having those like pink walls open up, it's just something that's so <laughs> special. And I think it, I can like, there's a part of me that feels like it's like reaching back into my past, like to like the four-year-old self who's like, hey, you, you, you did it. And yeah. this is really cool. Um, so it's like, it's, it's, that's a really rewarding moment to know that um, I get to do that sometimes on on Broadway and it's just like it's a really cool it's a really really cool feeling take me back really quick to you know the fateful day in March when everything started shutting down um tell me about your experience and and what went down with um within Mean Girls when everything decided to shut down yeah we had just come off a really crazy weekend because we were uh, we had been in tech. I, I don't even remember. It's been so long. We were in tech, I think, all weekend and on our and on, and on our day off or Tuesday um, because we were doing our phase two changes to... You know what? I actually remember yeah. you mentioning this because I, yeah. I remember we wanted to schedule mm-hmm. a, a podcast recording yeah. and it was crazy. It was crazy. And like the, our schedules kept changing and we were like, it was a really emotional... Honestly, it was like a very a very weird time because it was super emotional because we were saying goodbye to Kate Rockwell, Gray Henson, Barrett Wilbur Weed, and they were, so they all left that Sunday, and then we were welcoming all these new people, like, we were celebrating that Olivia was our new Janice, and, like, her and I are super close, and so it was just, like, such a, like, a, like, wonderful week, but also just, like, so emotionally draining, uh, that, like, going from, like, being in tech, saying goodbye to, like, the original Broadway show, and like opening ourselves up and trying to learn this new show and to like know that we only had a a little bit, a very small amount of time with Sabrina Carpenter. We were like really excited to like see her grow in this run. And then all of a sudden, like I remember watching our Wednesday was a double show and we got to see Becca go on in Katie Roll Wednesday matinee. And so it was like, it was like our first like understudy um going on in the new show and it was like whoa okay like I hope she makes it like it's a really crazy thing it was just a really fun moment and then that night we were like okay it's like back to normal now like this is our new norm and it makes me sad because I remember like I didn't really watch Wednesday night's show Mm -hmm. and no one had any clue that that was going to be our last show for until like next year and like literally we might make it a whole year so it's like crazy crazy um So in a lot of ways, it was really emotional. I think I want to say for the most part, people were like all of a sudden like, oh, we have a whole month off (laughs) until April 12th. And then we get to just do it again. We're like, wait, we get to pause for a second. I think, I mean, I know I was like kind of relieved because I was like, oh my gosh, we get to just, I get to just go home and focus on something else besides learning two new roles, basically in a show that I'd never done and I could literally be thrown on at any point. Mm. Um, I think everyone's brains were really, really grateful. And then all of a sudden we were like, wait a second, that's a long time. (laughs) 
so it in a weird way it was a very I think I was really relieved that we were getting a little bit of a break but it was also like devastating once you like as time has gone on we're like oh god like Hmm. this is a long time and yeah so do you have I mean if you can share if if you're able to share this do you have any updates about when you might be coming back or is it just getting pushed back further and further basically yeah we basically just hear about the changes and like the dates as soon as like broadway league releases them Hmm. um when we when it first got pushed to i can't remember it was april and then it was july or something we didn't hear about i heard about the actual broadway shutdown via the internet we didn't hear from most Broadway companies didn't hear from their company managers or anyone because it just happened. And like, no one had a chance to like warn anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually we find out like maybe a couple of hours or the the night before if things are getting pushed, but like we were told about January 3rd. um, I think, yeah, a couple hours before. Mm. So from what I know, we've had a lot of zoom, a lot of zoom calls. And I think our creative team and our producing team are really motivated and they are trying to like keep us open and they want to reopen as soon as it's safe and possible so I think all the intentions are to stay open and to come back because I think it's a show that people will want to see because it's like I love I love dramedies I love the dark and like great musicals or plays like I love drama but I think seeing something that is lighthearted that has a good message that's fun and like even if like you don't know the show, like if you see people having fun, you can't help but just like take that in yourself. So I think that will it'll it's a show that people will want to see. So I really hope that we reopen. Yeah. So since we're dealing with this, you know, major Broadway shutdown, what are you doing during this time to basically survive emotionally, physically, and honestly financially? First of all, financially, I'm on unemployment, mm-hmm. and I honestly, I'm very, very lucky that a animated film that I was working on like a couple of months ago, we were supposed to record it at the end of March, and literally everything shut down. I had a plane ticket to come back to New York to record this song for it, for the pitch, because I think they're pitching it to multiple, like they're taking it to a film festival and they want to pitch it to DreamWorks and Pixar and some places, but they, I think they got basically a green light to continue recording a lot of things. And I have, we set up a really like janky voiceover studio in our closet, which actually works really well. My boyfriend and I, we have a really good um, microphone we use. Mm -hmm. And uh, so luckily I've been able to do that and they've paid me my normal rate, which has been really great. But um. I'm on unemployment. I'm saving like crazy. I've been in the process of actually finding sublets for my apartment now that we have an official, okay. an official through January. So we're currently dealing with that. But financially, it's been a lot. Like we're very lucky that we can live um, in Texas rent free. And right now, we're planning on um, possibly go- driving over to California to s- visit my parents, and we have a we have another place we can stay rent-free, but basically just trying to save as much as possible. Yeah. So financially, that's kind of what I'm doing, but I do a lot of yoga. I try to do, I do a lot of yoga with Adrienne because um, she, I just love her voice and she's just so calming and so accepting. If you can't do things like the crow, I can't do it. I'm too scared to go upside down. Um, but I do a lot of yoga. I try to take daily walks. Um, we we're very lucky. We have a little lake right in front of his parents' house, so we kind of try to loop around that a couple of times. But lots of yoga, trying to work out. I'm definitely in like sort of the best shape that I've been in a very long time. Because <laughs> like four months, like I guess now it would have been more like six months. But um, there was a time in Mean Girls where I was getting very lazy. Um, <laughs> usually, what motivates me is like Kaylin, like you don't know if you still fit in your costume. You haven't worn them in, in like a couple of weeks. So let's hope that it still works. Cause I don't know until I find out the That's two a good point. if I'm going on and like, what if I had a big lunch that day? Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> and so, um, so that's usually the bit like my motivation, but I think mm-hmm. during this quarantine time, it's been really nice to be like, okay, I'm doing this for myself and I'm doing this so that today, like I can, I can, 
like it brings me joy to be able to move and like do yoga or a workout that like makes my body feel really good. So I do a lot of um, like YouTube workouts Mm -hmm. and I kind of go back and forth from like live live stream workouts where like I have a friend who teaches like a core power yoga class. Um, But I try to balance the, because I go through in and out of moods of wanting someone to keep me accountable and then also just wanting to do it for myself and not have anyone judge me if I don't do a 45 minute like plank, you know, like hold it for, like I just want to just need to do it and not have anyone watch me and judge if I'm doing it as long as I need to. Mentally, I try to meditate a lot. I do a lot of embroidery. um, So I try to like keep myself busy with that. I try to like sit outside and embroider and drink my coffee and (laughs) think about the world. (laughs) Um, But I mean, my, my parents are both therapists. So it's like, they've, they've kind of taught me to embrace the, um, the, whatever comes to your mind when all of a sudden everything's like blank and like, there's kind of nothing going on. And I think when you're in like your mid twenties and you're early in your career, and a pandemic hits, like a lot of worries come to your head and a lot of things can stress you out really quick. And my parents taught me that's really important to not push those away. That's really mm-hmm. important to listen and like see, see what like where you start to go and not be afraid of what comes up. So, cause you can't, cause like you can't solve anything. You can't um, deal with anything if you just push it away and ignore it. You mentioned earlier temping. Can you just touch on really quick uh, survival jobs that you've had in the past, especially in between performance contracts? Yeah. So I worked at a gym, Barry's Boot Camp. I worked at the Fuel Bar with a couple <laughs> of our friends, um, and I loved it. I think it was it was a good motivation because I really love working at gyms because most of the time you get free classes or you um, just develop relationships with the people who want to be active and super fit and I'm one of those people that like I've never been able to like really commit to getting like solid abs and I just have accepted that about myself I don't need them to like make me make myself happy but being around people who love that and that brings them joy and like being super super toned and fit just like you can just ask them questions you can be Mm -hmm. like I need a new ab workout what do you recommend and that that was like really fun. And you get like getting to do a job that um, you can interact with people and talk and just like not be um, a robot. I really, I really like those kinds of jobs. So I worked at Barry's boot camp, and they were really nice. I actually got to leave for a temporary time and come back. So they were really, really great. Um, I don't know if they still do that now, but I've, so I basically did that. Um, and I've done a lot of temp gigs. I've done a lot of like front desk. I used to work um, for this company called Four Staffing Solutions. And um, I actually spent a lot, I, I have a long relationship with them because when I was in college, I would, I did nickel mines with our friend. And after that, I worked with them because they were doing the US Open. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being the assistant to the woman at Four Solutions who um, hired everyone for Ralph Lauren and Wilson. And I was her scheduler. So I basically sat in this like, cool random office in Times Square and just like scheduled people. Um, but I really, so I worked like a lot of like random museum jobs, but things that like had flexible hours was like yeah. always the best. But I think you run it, I mean, you run into problems too of like being balancing, how do I make enough money? and How do I go to all these auditions? Because you never know if like that one audition that you like really scheduled around would be the audition, would be yeah. the one. And so it's like, I don't even know what the solution is. Like it's <laughs> we're all figuring it out as we go. Truly. My friend, yeah. my friend used to work like front desk at a spa and I was like, that's probably where it's at. But I'm like the dream. Yeah. So oh, she did so all cool. of the good skincare things. Uh-huh. So yeah. Cool. Helpful to know. Very helpful to know. Um, this question comes from a listener. They ask, Do you have any advice for a fellow half Asian, half white? actor wanting to pursue theater yeah I think I mean obviously right now things are really really exploding in the world of education when it comes to um learning about other people's experiences and I've kind of like I talk about this a lot with like math in master classes 
I never thought being like the hashtag Asian Regina was like, I like, I didn't even think about it when I booked the job. And I think that's part of it. Like I didn't even consider my race being a part of like what was going to keep me from getting that job. And that's also, that's like a very privileged view. Like I know that I'm very much like white passing. I am half Mm -hmm. white, but like, I'm also half Chinese and also partially Native American. So it's like, I have a lot of different ethnicities in my blood, but um, part of it was like, I just mentally did not let my race be part of my audition experience. I didn't let that become a barrier in my own mind. For some people, it 100% is there no matter what. Like a lot of the like Black community, it's like, it is different for them because they are literally a different color. Yeah. Whereas put me in a blonde wig and if someone doesn't have very good eyesight in the back of our theater, definitely white, definitely. Mm. And that's, so that's a different perspective. But I think for people who are Papa, who are mixed in general, I think a lot of it has to do with pers- like the energy you bring into the room. If you were made for that part and you do your best, that's all you can do. Like you can't, you can't change what the people behind the table in that moment like already want for the role. And the only thing you can hope for is that you, your talent shines through and what you bring to the role will get you the job. It's like, I hope, dear God, I hope that we are past the point of like, oh, well, this person's this. So like they fit my perfect little picture. Mm. Like, you know, it's like, I hope that we're past this or we're moving past it. it it's kind of hard to find like a pinpoint thing to like give like as a token of advice um to people who are um mixed or of like an ethnicity that has not as much have as much opportunity because there's not really like a there's no trick like no one yeah it's like there's not really a tip or trick but I think you just have to like barrel through you have to believe in yourself enough that you're not gonna you are not gonna like take yourself out of the running before they do. So that's, I think, a huge part of it. I mean, I remember in college, so many, like, for showcase, picking songs to sing. I was the only person of color in my class of, like, seven or six. And everyone else had, like, Sondheim, Gershwin, like, Bartram Hammerstein, like, all of those people to choose from. And I was like, great, Flower Drum Song, Saigon, King and I. I I don't really want to why I shouldn't have to be a prostitute or a prisoner for both my songs for showcase. Like that's so messed up. Like that's not fair. And Mm. um, so I think by immediately going, doesn't matter. doesn't matter if those were the only shows written at the time for Asian people, like open your circle and just sing the songs that make sense for you and that you can authentically tell. Yeah. What is something that you wish you knew when you started pursuing a career professionally in musical theater? Um, I wish that I knew, I mean, very cliche, but to Mm -hmm. not compare myself to others. I have a a really bad tendency to do it just because I think um, it's so easy. It's so easy for our mind to like shift to like, well, that person like their hair looks better and like than mine today and like oh like I heard them through the wall like you do in any audition room in New York like oh gosh like they sound amazing and like my song doesn't sound at all like that and um especially when you start to get down to singing the same songs for an actual role you're like okay I'm having to hear everyone's version of this and that's terrifying but I wish I knew to not um care so much about other people I talk about this if anyone's ever heard me on a masterclass I always talk about this burrito um analogy I give like the (laughs) metaphor analogy thing where it's like I love Chipotle I love food in general but like when you're in line for Chipotle unless we're talking about guacamole you don't have to worry about the person in front of you or behind you like you don't have to worry about the meal that they are creating whether or not it's a bowl a burrito a salad whatever um, unless it's low, unless that Chipotle is low on guacamole, you should not have to worry 
So, but it's like, you don't have to worry about what they're putting on their, in their meal because you're not going to eat it. So like, yeah, you don't need to look, you don't need to look over there. You don't need to look behind you. And so it's like, you just have to focus on this burrito that you're building. And, um, so I kind of just like try to really embrace this burrito thing. The burrito analogy. I love that. I'm going to start using that myself. Because it's like, it really is true. Cause like, you will not know what their tacos taste like. You will not know their experiences. So why even stress yourself out? Why even bring in the possibility of worry about what they're doing into your little, into your circle, into your world, the mental space. Mm. Um, so I really try to embrace that. And I tell people that who are younger artists, or I even tell friends who are older than me. And I'm like, this is what I tell everyone. And... <laughs> But I really, I really believe in it because it's so easy. It's such an easy thing for us to do as, as actors, as young actors, and even people who have a million credits, they deal with their own set of problems of being like, well, what if I'm a has-been now? Like, maybe I've gotten all the credits I, I've gotten, and now there's this newbie. Like, it's so easy for us to compare ourselves and to um, spend a lot of emotional and mental energy on figuring out why this other person is better. Um, and especially now being like a standby, I'm literally, I am like, I go on when the principal actor cannot go on. And so it's so, I'm like the amount of like, I've gotten really, like, I feel really proud of myself for the growth that I've done like mentally on, like, there are so many like comparison videos out there of like people doing world burn, people doing someone gets hurt, how everyone physically walks or how like one person said one line. And it's just like a video of like that same line, but seven different people doing yeah. it. And I think when I, before I was even on Broadway and Mean Girls, I remember I'd see those videos and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like that's like, ooh, I don't know if I could do that. And now I know there are ones of me and I remember <laughs> being really nervous Cause I saw one one day and I was like, I don't know if I can read the comments. I can't do this. But I realized I was like, I don't care. I was like, it doesn't matter because I'm never going to be that other person. I will never know what their tacos tasted like that day. Like, <laughs> like I only know about my chicken burrito with guac and sour cream. Like, I don't know. So I really try to just like tell people like, please just don't care what other people are doing in their own lives, like in their own careers um in like a kind and positive way don't like be a butthole and <laughs> mean. like mean that will do not be a mean girl <laughs> will get you nowhere whatever you do please do not be that way <laughs> kind kindness is key yeah. don't compare yourself um yeah I love that analogy I'm gonna <laughs> tell everyone I know about it I also love chipotle so yeah, it's, it's perfect <laughs> I know. It couldn't be more perfect, but you're amazing. Thank you so much, Kaylin, for Thank joining you. us today. I hope I get to see you shine on a Broadway stage very, very soon. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>If you've enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it, tag at Actor Aesthetic, and share it to your Instagram stories so that I can see who is following along with me there. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and also hit that subscribe button so that you can join me every single week for a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic podcast. Until then, this is Maggie Barra signing off. It takes a village. I'll see you next week.